Good evening, everybody. It's always good to be with the PM crowd. Adam and I do feel our age when we come here, mainly by we've realized how much ankle you show. That is what I'm spotting in our fashion trends that are different. And so welcome to those in the venue, those of you joining us online. And a special shout out to the people in the small hall, because um, they're there, and I'm hoping they're cheering now and just um, knowing that we haven't forgotten about them. Shame, Zoe. That was, what did you call them? General attendance tickets or whatever. Shame. So this evening, I'm delighted to be landing our series. Um, we, are, we have been speaking about becoming emotionally mature, and the tagline that we've used is, from shallow faith to deep transformation. And up front, we recognize that the things that we've been talking about over these past weeks, this process of becoming emotionally mature, spiritually mature, mature it is a lifelong process. And we've touched on some big topics, so I've just popped them on the screen for you, those of you who've been joining with us. I mean, these are big things, and there's no way that in four weeks, oh, we've got it covered. And maybe you, like me, have had that sense of, sure, you know, there's still so much more growth and so much more maturing that actually needs to happen in my life. And that's okay, because it's a lifelong journey that we're on. And over these weeks, we've seen that emotions are a core part of who God is, And they are one of the attributes that he shared with us when he created us. And so emotions are helpful to us. And emotional maturity is about learning that ability to recognize that our emotions help to tell us what is going on, what is going on beneath the surface. And so if you think of it, it's like the dashboards on a, the the lights on the dashboard of a car, and they're telling you, as they come on, what's happening beneath the surface, what's happening in the engine. And if we ignore the lights, then we shouldn't be surprised if, just like a car, maybe it leads to some less optimal performance and some distraction even. And so our emotional maturity is growing in awareness of those things, growing in our awareness of how we act, how we react appropriately, and then we bring all of that, that which we are aware of, that which we are becoming aware of, and we bring it before God. And we say, God, won't you shape us in all of these things, including our emotions, and help us to grow in your likeness? And that's what discipleship is, in a sense. Now, I recognize this series like this can feel quite introspective. And in many ways, it can feel like we've been quite self-centered and self-absorbed because it's all about me and how I'm growing and what I'm aware of in myself. And some people might even think that it's a little bit self-helpy, because again, it seems to be focused on me and how I'm doing and what I'm doing. And so that's why we land in the series this week in looking at what is the outflow of this growth, what is the outflow of this maturity, that it doesn't just end with ourselves, but actually, as we're growing and as we're maturing, it overflows into other people. And so tonight's message is called, Let Love be the measure of maturity. Let love be the measure of maturity. And if you've been following along, if you've got the book, you want to be reading chapter seven. If you've been listening to the podcast, you want to listen to episode six, because that's going to help you unpack some of this material. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, as we come to your word tonight, we, as always, want to open ourselves up to hear from you. We thank you for the gift of your word, And we thank you for the gift of your spirit, which can take that word and apply it and massage it in. And so we open ourselves to being encouraged by you, to being shaped by you, to being challenged by you tonight. And won't you speak to us? 
that as we leave this place, we are not the same as when we arrived because you have shaped our hearts and you have shaped our minds. You are shaping our behaviors and our thoughts. We give you this time. Amen. So I want you to take a moment to just consider what you think the measure of spiritual maturity is. You know, when you say to someone, oh, so-and-so, they're really, you know, they're so spiritually mature. How would you define that? What do you mean by that? And let me tell you a story to illustrate. In the book, um, in the Emotionally Healthy book, Peter Scazzera refers to Martin Buber, who is a German-Jewish theologian. He's a philosopher, a writer. He's quite well-known, and he lived in the 1900s. And one day, um, it was in 1914, just after World War I had broken out in Europe, a young man came to visit Martin Buber and have a conversation with him. And that morning, Martin Buber had spent the morning in this kind of amazing experience with God, and he had felt like he had encountered God and really like, um, just had this incredible experience of God's presence. And then he comes down and he has this conversation with this young man, and the young man leaves. And a little bit later, Martin Buber found out that the young man had committed suicide. And he realizes that he had missed it in that moment. And that that young man had come to him not just for a conversation that was casual or just polite, but he had come to him in desperation because he was making this crucial decision. And Martin Buber had missed that opportunity. And so he writes this. The guilt Buber felt was not that he had somehow failed to remove the young man's despair, but that he had failed to be fully present to him. He was so preoccupied by his own experience with God earlier that morning that he failed to bring the full resources of his attention to their conversation. He did not turn to the young man with his whole being, and instead of genuinely listening, he brought the equivalent of leftovers, a courteous but partial engagement. And for Buber, he realized that it is possible to have profound spiritual experiences, a faith that can move mountains, but that such a faith is worth nothing without a deeply present love for people. A deeply present love for people. So in a sense, in that moment, Martin Buber's understanding of what spiritual maturity was, his measure of spiritual maturity shifted. Jesus gets asked the same question. What is the greatest commandment? Let's read it in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, give us one, one commandment. And he goes, no, I'm going to give you two. Because to Jesus, they are inseparable. In a sense, it's the coin and they're two sides of the same coin. Love God, love people, love God, love people. So Jesus is giving us the measure and he's saying, love. Love is the measure of spiritual maturity. And so at the core of our Christian faith is this idea that we should be growing in love, growing in our understanding of God's love for us, growing in our love for God, and then growing in our love for other people. And so learning to love well is almost like the curriculum of our faith. And we are meant to be the best lovers of people on the face of the earth. 
And I think that Jesus gives two answers because he knows our propensity to overly focus on one. You know, if we only focused on loving God, but that, that didn't overflow to other people, it would be a partial understanding. And if we focus only on loving other people, but that we don't root that in our love for God and in his love for us, and that love isn't an overflow, then we do it with all the wrong motives and in all the wrong ways. Because in God's love, we find our motive for loving. We find our source for loving. And we even find the way that we are meant to love, full of grace, full of truth. That's what we find when we root ourselves in God's love. And so tonight's reading comes from John 13. Inga's going to come up, and she's going to read this passage to us. And maybe it's a passage that you've heard a few times before. But just as you listen to it, picture Jesus. Listen to what he's saying. Watch what he's doing, because it's this beautiful picture of love in action. So over to Inga. Please follow along with me in John 13. Uh, We'll be reading from 1 to 17 and then jumping over to 33 to 35. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, said Simon, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then we're going to hop over to verse 33, where Jesus predicts, preceding this, that Judas is going to betray him, and Judas leaves, and uh, we pick up again. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a beautiful passage because in this passage we see Jesus not just telling us how to love, but he actually demonstrates it for us and he puts his words into action. So the dinner time custom of the day was to lean back and recline at the evening meal. And so after walking through the streets, those dusty streets, after a very long day, the practice was to wash the feet because they are going to be close to the food and you don't want them to smell. And usually the lowest servant in the household would have this function of washing the feet of the guests. And it was seen as a sign of honor, a sign of respect, that you would wash your guests' feet. Now the last supper is taking place in a private home, and it's just Jesus and his disciples there. So it's a really intimate space. We can understand why there would have been no servants around. And But what we, what we see is Jesus choosing to take on that role. He takes on the role of a servant And he washes the feet of his disciples, those who are closest to him. And in that, he's setting this incredible example of humility, that he's willing to do this. He literally is kind of rolling up his sleeves to serve, and to serve this this bunch of people. And included here is Judas, Judas who's about to go and betray him. Included here is Peter, who we know that before the end of the evening, he's going to to deny even knowing Jesus. And yet Jesus washes their feet and sets this beautiful example to us of love in action, of humility in action. And one of the key concepts that Scazzaro explores in his book is this idea of incarnation. Incarnation, that's defined as um, a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, a spirit, or a, quali- or a quality. And so, of course, Jesus is the incarnation of God. That in Jesus, we kind of get to see God with skin on. Because Jesus enters our world to show us who God is and what he's like. And so this is explained in scripture a few times. In Philippians 2, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And so Jesus is God with skin on. And in this kind of interaction with his disciples, we, it reflects so much of what Jesus is about. His willingness to lay down, lay down his title, lay down his status, lay down his, his very essence of being God to enter our world and to come and be close to us. And throughout his life, we see Jesus laying down his life and serving other people. And so here he's literally displaying this by being willing to wash feet, which would have been considered like really for a, low, a person of a low position. Jesus is willing to wash feet. And then in a few hours' time, we'll watch him wash away our sin as he literally lays down his life as a sacrifice on the cross. And through that sacrifice, we get to experience God's love. We get to experience God's forgiveness. And even while he's dying on that cross, we see him 
the kind of still serving others. So he's busy dying on the cross and he calls out to God and he says, forgive, forgive these people, forgive these people who are killing me. And he notices his mom and he realizes after his death, she's going to need to be looked after. And so even while he's dying on the cross, he's focused on his mom and he makes a plan for her to be looked after. Jesus' whole life is spent serving others. And if you're listening here today, maybe you've dialed in, you're still kind of exploring, well, who is this Christ? What is Christianity all about? What kind of a savior is this? I think today's text really gives us such a powerful picture of the kind of savior that we serve, that he is a God who moves towards us. He is close. He's accessible. He's willing to lay down in order for us to have access to him for us to be close to God. And it's a beautiful picture of his accessibility. And with that accessibility comes an invitation. Will you respond? Will you come close to him as he has laid down everything to come close to you? So verse 35 tells us, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is the measure. (laughs) This is how the world is going to know that we are Jesus's disciples. And so when you pray, well, God, won't you show so-and-so that you love them? Well, the way God's going to answer that is you. And the way you love that person is going to be an expression of how God loves that person. So we're going to look at three very specific practical ideas of how to love. Because love is quite a kind of ethereal concept. How do we love? How do we love well based on Jesus' example? And they're quite simple, and you've probably heard many of them before, but I feel like they're a timely reminder to us because we're in this unique season as a church where we can't gather as often as we'd like, we can't gather with as many people or in the same way that we're used to gathering, but it's a season when we are the church wherever we are. Um, Rick Warren puts it like this, this time is not about getting the community into our churches, it's about getting our church into our community. And so we get to be the church in the places that God has put us. And so as I go into this section, I want you to visualize your world. Think of that Google map and put your pin where you live and think of the neighborhood round about you. And maybe there's a pin where you study or where you go to work, a pin for your gym and your kind of sports club, maybe where you go to get your takeaway coffee or your favorite restaurant. Um, Just have those kind of places in your mind. Think of the people, think of the rhythms, think of your week, think of your day, and just have that in your mind as we look at these three things. Be, listen, serve. Be, listen, serve. So the first thing we learn from Jesus is to be, to be present, to be fully present. And it's a simple concept, but it is a profound concept, and it's quite difficult to be fully present in a moment, not being distracted, not being preoccupied, and not just being physically present, but also in that moment, bringing my best self to that moment, not being distracted, not being detached, not being reactive and irritable, but actually showing up and showing up in the best possible way. And COVID realities have made this really hard because for a number of us, we haven't been able to be with people physically as, as much as we'd like to. And so what that's meant is we've seen increased isolation. We've seen kind of increased loneliness. And sometimes intentionally or unintentionally, that means we've withdrawn and we've retreated. 
and we haven't been as present with people. We haven't shared with people in the way that's healthy. There's been a deficit. For others of us, COVID has meant we are with the same people all the time, and those people can get irritating. And so often, that presence has meant we haven't brought our best to those moments and to those interactions. Maybe we have been present, but not fully present. We haven't really seen, we haven't really heard the people that we are around. And then we've also seen this kind of blurring of boundaries where our work life and our home life and things get intermingled and there've been interruptions and distractions and you're dealing with stuff and you're trying to multitask and maybe you're dealing with a crisis and it's all kind of coming together. And so as a result, you are distracted, preoccupied, there's so much on the go. And the other thing we've seen is that it's been an overwhelming season. And so many of us have chosen to distract ourselves and that's kind of been a coping mechanism. So we've gone on those Netflix series binge-watching where we watch the whole series in a weekend. Or we watch lots and lots of Olympics. That's the other one that I noticed happening. Or even this overworking because it keeps us feeling busy and productive and in control and maybe stopping to really think and be aware and be fully present. I think a lot of bad habits have crept in over the season. And often those habits, those behaviors, rob us of being fully present. So I know for me personally, as I prepared this message, this point particularly, I felt like I was really speaking to myself. Uh, When the preaching team chose the topics, we we deliberately chose topics that were like, okay, I think I need to learn something here. I need to grow in this area. And so that's certainly been very true for me. And I am going to spend a little bit longer on this point because it's, it's the one I need to speak to myself. I'm a a regular user of the Lectio app. I don't know how many of you use that. It's a brilliant kind of prayer and scripture um, app. It it helps you kind of think through the day and pray. And one of the things they've introduced this year is evening prayers, where at the end of the day, you take time to reflect on your day and then kind of process it. And they lead you on a journey, and it's all rooted in scripture. You think about your day. You release any stress or strain that you're feeling from the day. You reflect on your day, are there things you need to confess? Are there things you need to repent of? Um, Is there forgiveness you need to ask for? And it kind of leads you through this process. And as I've done that, the thing I consistently need to repent of is distraction. That when I think about my day, there have been these moments and these conversations and these interactions where I have not been fully present. I've been distracted. I've been preoccupied. And so I haven't responded well. I haven't been in the moment, and I haven't brought my best self to those moments. And so that's been my kind of consistent thing I've had to to confess. And contrast that with Jesus, because when I read the Gospels and I see Jesus, I see him as someone who is fully present, and he's open to what is happening around him. He's so aware of what's happening around him. Just one example, the other day I was reading the story of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus I mean, the fact that Jesus even sees Zacchaeus, he's in a tree, you know, but Jesus notices him because he's aware and he's attentive to what's happening around him. And he sees Zacchaeus and they start having this conversation. And then he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. And I'm sure that, you know, on the itinerary for the day, the disciples didn't have dinner with Zacchaeus. No, that wasn't on the plan. But Jesus was open to that opportunity, that interruption. And as a result, Zacchaeus' life is turned around. 
he has this life-changing encounter with Jesus because Jesus is present and aware and attentive. Recently, um, we had a leadership time with Donnie Griggs. Common ground leaders like across the city of Cape Town came to this kind of online meeting. And Donnie's um, a good friend of Common Ground. He's been to this church. Some of our leaders have been to his church. Um, he's American. He's the guy with a long, long beard. Uh, so he looks a bit wacky. But we love him because he's got a real heart for, for God and for people. And um, in that time, he shared some things that were really helpful. He was calling us to to kind of have a sense of being called to the place that we find ourselves in. And once we have that sense of calling, that that overflows into loving that place and loving the people in that place. And he shared some really helpful, practical reminders. I want to share just four of them with you. And as I share them, think about your map. (laughs) Think about those places that you visualized, the people that you interact with. So he said the first thing was be present. We've been chatting about this, but like keep your radar up and notice the people around you. Notice the people around you. And one of the easiest ways to do this is to be off your phone, to put your phone away when you're in the grocery store, when you're standing at the till, when you're ordering your takeaway coffee, that you actually put your phone away and engage with the people around you. Phones are often the easiest way to be distracted, the easiest way to be interrupted. And so put it away. One of the young, young moms in our community was at this leadership event. And the very next day, she had an opportunity when she went to um, fetch her kids from school. She had the most amazing conversation with a fellow parent. And when we were chatting about it, she said, I know it was because I left my phone in the car. And I, Donnie's reminder had reminded her. And so she was able to have this incredible encounter with this other parent. So be present. And then be persistent. Be present over and over again in the same places with the same people. If you you think about it, you have a daily rhythm, you have a weekly rhythm, and maybe start to bring some consistency to that. So go to the same petrol station. Go to the same coffee shop. Maybe even sit at the same table so that you're served by the same waiter or waitress. Have conversations as you go. In, In the Bible, we see that Jesus was recognized in his hometown. People knew who he was because he was around enough that they recognized him. So in your day, try and be recognizable because you go there often enough. There's a sense of kind of consistency and you're developing connections and conversations and opportunities. Thirdly, to be patient because building relationships often takes time. And so be patient that you're building up bridges of connection and bridges of trust where you're going to be invited to speak. You're going to be invited to kind of give your perspective, but that takes time. But then fourthly, to be prepared and to be, have your eyes open to those opportunities as they come, because they will come. And are you ready to listen? Are you ready to speak? Are you ready to grab that gap that opens up? And so to illustrate this point, I want to take the gap to tell you about Zane. Zane is um, a common grounder. He's been part of common ground for ages. He's a business owner, but he's also a communications specialist. And so in that role, he gets to kind of travel around a lot and he meets with people and he interacts with people as part of his day. And whenever I chat to Zane about what's been happening in his life, um, I'm inspired by two things. Firstly, he really sees people. So he always refers to people by name and he can tell you about their family and what's going on in their life and the challenges that they're facing. But Zane is also passionate about Jesus. And so he very easily, very quickly, very naturally 
talks about his faith, talks about Jesus, talks about church and God and what God's been doing and how God's moved in his life. And as a result, God uses him. And so Zane always has a story, no matter when. So I pick up the phone, I go, Zane, I need a story. And he goes, okay, I've got two for you. (laughs) And so these are the two. So the first one is he's been building a relationship with an elderly gentleman who's a Muslim gentleman. And it gets to the point in their relationship where they actually invite Zane over to their home. And it was during Eid, and so Zane was invited to to share a meal with the family as they break their fast. And it's just opened up kind of a whole new level of conversation, and Zane's been able to share about his family and his life and his faith. And one of the things Zane's involved in is a prison ministry where they do prayer walks. And so now this family have asked, could they be part of a prayer walk when those prayer walks open up again in the prison ministry? Zane also told me about a woman in her family who had left church. They'd kind of um, drifted away from God. But for over a year, Zane would pop in whenever he was in the area because he really felt like God had laid this woman and her family on his heart. And so he goes to visit her, and they have coffee together, and he shares his testimony. And he said, over the course of this year, it was amazing to see. They got to witness one of the members of this lady's family getting baptized through Common Ground. And now this lady has joined their life group, and they are going to baptize her in the near future. And so Zane just has these stories because he's open to these opportunities. And he's aware, and he's attentive, and so God uses him. And I find that really inspiring. So I love this saying. It says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And maybe think about that this week as you go into your week, into your world. What are the habits? What are the behaviors that I have that feed presence? And what are those that feed distraction? And I want to give you an example. So because I knew I was preaching, I've been, like, had my radar up for examples, and I've realized One of the examples in my life is Zoom meetings, okay? Now, I'm on a lot of Zoom meetings. A lot of my work meetings happen on Zoom. And I've noticed that there's a bit of a Zoom spectrum. So on this side is the person who's really focused in a Zoom meeting. Ian is actually like this. He sits back in a chair, and he he makes sure he's a little bit further away from the computer. He's got no distractions around him. Maybe he's got a notebook, and he's taking notes. Have you seen those people? You know what they're like. They're amazing. They're very focused. And then on this end, you've got the person, their camera's off, their mic is off, they never say anything, they never comment, and you're like, I don't even know if they're actually even here. And then in the middle, you've got the rest of us, and I fall firmly here, quite distracted, so I'm always this close, because I've got about 17 screens open at a time. I'm very guilty of multitasking. I've even like responded to um, a WhatsApp while I'm on the call. I'm not as bad as some people who mute the call, and then make another call while they're on your call. Have you been in a situation like that? Yo, that drives me mad. But I realize my own behaviors, what are my habits? What are my behaviors that are feeding presence in that moment? And what are those behaviors that are feeding distraction? And so I've been aware of this. There are things I need to change. Maybe you can relate. Wherever you are, be all there. Okay, that's the first one. It's the longest one. So be present. The second one is to listen, to listen better. David Augsburg sums it up like this. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved. For the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And so we go 
back to, to today's passage. That whole interaction's happening and as part of the Last Supper, these, these hours that Jesus spends with his disciples. And if you look at that whole kind of sequence of events, and if you read about it in various gospel accounts, what you see is Jesus having a series of conversations with his disciples. And he's answering their questions, and he's teaching them, and he's trying to prepare them for what is about to happen next. And he's patient. These are his last moments with them. Peter keeps coming up with these like weird questions, as only Peter can. But Jesus is patient with Peter. And he sees not just what Peter is saying, but what is happening behind the words of what Peter is saying. And he addresses some of those things. So think about your conversations over the last while. How well have you listened? Have you listened or have you just been waiting to speak? Have you listened attentively with empathy? Are you listening to what's going on behind those words? The Gospels are filled with Jesus interacting with people. And each time he is aware, he is tuned in, he is listening to that person. Nathaniel, Nicodemus. We see him interacting with a blind man and a Samaritan woman. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, we're told that Jesus looked at him and loved him. We get that sense that he really saw him. And he was able to listen to people's stories. It's a beautiful kind of description, a beautiful example for us. When's the last time, or have you ever heard someone say, oh, let me tell you about these bunch of Christians that I know. They are the best listeners on the face of the earth. You know, whenever I'm with them, I feel like they're really listening well to me. They're really listening and interested and curious and asking questions. They are just the best listeners. Have anyone ever said that about you? But instead, research shows us that about only 10% of us listen effectively. Psychology Today says this. We are so distracted by the cacophony of dings and tweets from our smartphones, not to mention our ever-growing to-do lists, that we struggle to focus and listen when people talk to us. And if we're not distracted by technology, our own thoughts can keep us from listening to another person. We often think that we are listening, but we are actually just considering how to jump in to tell our own story, offer advice, or even make a judgment. In other words, we're not listening to understand, but rather to reply. And maybe you, like me, can identify with some of those bad habits. Peter Scazzaro refers to these three questions that we should ask ourselves when we come into a conversation, that we should make ourselves aware of. In this moment, am I being fully present, or am I distracted? Am I loving or judging? And am I open or closed to being changed? Listening is a skill, and it takes time, and it takes practice. It takes feedback. So think about when did you last, when did you last ask a significant other to give you feedback on how well you listen? Your best friend, your husband, your wife, your life group leader. When was the last time you evaluated how well you listen, and you thought about ways to improve that. And so in our life groups this week, one of the things you're going to do is to explore some of these very specific listening skills to help equip us better in this area, because we need to learn from Jesus and we need to listen better. And so this brings me to my third point, the final point, to serve. To serve 
relentlessly. So in our passage today, we have this beautiful picture of Jesus humbling himself and serving, serving other people. Just prior to this, the disciples had been fighting amongst themselves. Oh, who's going to be the greatest amongst us? And Jesus is showing them in a very hands-on way that in his kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom. And the rules are different. And he's showing them that the first must be last. He's giving them a different example. And he's saying that serving others is essential to what it means to follow in him. And so we read from Luke 22. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. And we spoke earlier of how Jesus is the incarnation of God. Jesus is God with skin on. But today, God still comes to us with skin on through people, through the church, through his body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we are called to be God with skin on for the people around us. That is what it means to live out this incarnational faith. We get to be God with skin on. And it's not only with words or speech, but we get to do it with actions and in truth. In our time with Donia, one of the things I was inspired by just was their creativity and their intentionality. So one of the things he and Jill love to do is to cook for people and have people in their home. And obviously they haven't been able to do that because of social distancing. And so they pivoted. And what they do is on a Tuesday, they still cook for people, but they then package it up in to-go meals. And then people come to their house, or actually it's like a drive-through, and they give them the meal and they get to chat to them and they get to pray with them, and then they go off to enjoy the meal in their own home. But they've had that opportunity to connect and to serve and to just love on people. And I think it's a beautiful description of love in action. And so I'd encourage you to think where you are placed in your world with the people around you, how can you serve people? How can you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Don't wait for the church to start a program. No, you, just go do it. Just initiate and serve and love. I heard this great quote by Louis Giglio the other day. He says this, I am dispatched by the Holy Spirit on kingdom assignments to be light in a darkened world so that others can see Jesus. And when I heard that quote, I had that like mission impossible in my head. You know where it goes, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be dispatched by the Holy Spirit on a kingdom assignment, to be light in a darkened world so others can see Jesus. This message will self-destruct you. You know, you know what I mean. But imagine if that's actually how we saw our day. Yes, I'm dispatched by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go and represent Jesus in my world. It's such a powerful way to view our world, to view our week, to view the way we interact with people. So one of the best ways to do this is to just ask a simple question, to ask, how can I help? And whether you're asking your best friend or you're asking the person that you study with or you work with, your boss, whether you're asking this of your neighbor, a person in your life group who's going through a tough time, your husband, your wife, your five-year-old, how can I help? 
and we get to serve. And we serve relentlessly. And I chose that word deliberately because it can be hard work. (laughs) And we can get tired and we can get weary. And sometimes it seems endless and we feel overwhelmed and we wonder, are we really making a difference? But serve. We get to serve. Serve anyway, no matter how you're feeling. When you serve, it helps to combat some of that selfishness, some of that self-centeredness. And we serve not because of who we are, but because we are serving out of an overflow of love. In the prayer meeting earlier today, um, before we started, we to, uh, one of the words that came through was that we get to serve joyfully. So I want to add that to this. We serve relentlessly, but we do it joyfully. Not because we have to, not because we're obliged to, not because God's like ticking us off on a list. How many good deeds did you do today? No, we get to serve joyfully because we have been loved by God. And out of that place of love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace, I get to be Jesus to the people around me. And I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) And maybe I'm going to hurt people. And I'm going to disappoint people. But I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to do the best that I can. I'm going to serve and love people. So let's be those who are fully present, who listen better, and who serve relentlessly and joyfully, just like Jesus did. Because we are the salt that God wants to rub into the city of Cape Town. He's placed you in certain places because he wants to use you to bless and serve and love the people around you. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me. Won't you stand? If you're in the venue, please stand. If you're at home, I'd suggest you also stand just to take a moment to kind of reflect on on what's been said. Holy Spirit, won't you speak to us? Won't you highlight to us the things that you want to, the things that you want us to really dwell on tonight? Maybe you've brought people to mind, situations to mind. We want to hear from you. I'm going to lead us in some prayers of response, and I invite you to engage in this moment. So often when we hear a message like this, we become aware of the missed opportunities and the missed moments, the conversations we didn't have, or situations where we didn't show up in our best self. And so tonight we're going to just begin in a place of confession, in a place of repenting of those things to God. There are going to be some words on the screen, and I invite you to say them with me. So let's start by confessing before God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Let's ask God for his forgiveness. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's land by inviting God to use us. So pray this with me. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. And Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Amen.